And warm greetings to the Galaxy listeners. You're listening to the Black Book Show with host McConnell and Kofa, myself, the author of the books The Rise of Rastafari, Resistance, Redemption, Repatriation, Life in Gambia, The Smiling Coast of Africa, and How to Market and Sell Your Book, A Guide for Beginners. I'll be taking you up to 8pm GMT, um, covering the next two hours with the Black Book Show. This particular Black Book Show, I'll be speaking to author Mama Adjua, author of the book The Overstayer, and Ramona Miles. She is the, well, she's not author, she's the founder of the magazine called Life Along the, La- the Nile. Mama Adjua will be talking about her experience in Ghana, and Ramona Miles will be talking about her experience in Egypt. Now, for those who are new, if you haven't listened to the Black Book Show before, this is a program on Galaxy Afiwi Station, Galaxy afiwi.net where i interview a variety of different authors of african heritage from different parts of the world and they talk about their books it is every saturday between 6 and 8 p.m uk gmt time without any further ado our first guest is waiting mama ajwa so i'm now going to be speaking with mama ajwa i am now joined by Mama Ajwa, who is the author of the books called The Overstayer and also Mama Ajwa's children's photo book, Fruits in English and Tree. Mama Ajwa, welcome to the Black Book Show. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Greetings. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for um, inviting me along this evening. So I'm um, Mama Ajwa. Um, I was born in London. Jamaican parentage. My background is in nursing. I qualified way back in 1987. Um, went into community nursing, district nursing, health visiting, and also photography. I'm currently, well, I'm in London at the moment, but um, I kind of go between Ghana and uh, London. And um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. My interests, what do I like doing? I like traveling, I like um, DIY, I like writing, painting, um, upholstering furniture, so upcycling things, dressmaking, a bit of baking, and also genealogy. So that's just a little bit about me. Oh, I do charity work as well. So. I am the past president for Kiwanis Club of Croydon. And Kiwanis is an international organization where we basically serve children of the world. So lots of different fundraising and projects. And I'm also the founder of WeStap, which is we supply toiletries and products to girls and women in need in Croydon. So um, people donate toiletries and menstrual products, and then we um, make sure that they're distributed throughout the borough so that's me okay what i want you to do now is to give the audience an an overview of the book the overstayer okay so the overstay is my first book and i've got to give you a bit of a back history so in october 2019 myself my two daughters and a group of us we went to ghana the trip was organized by mr colin Carter of African Caribbean Funeral Services in Stoke Newington. And we spent, I think we spent 10 days 
and it was action-packed. The only time we had spare was the morning we were actually leaving. We toured Ghana. So not just Accra, we went to Cape Coast. We went to northern region, eastern region. We even got as far as Togo across the border. It was absolutely fantastic. And I remember telling the others, oh, I'm going to come back. And they were just laughing. Oh, I'm sure you're not. It was actually my second um, trip to the motherland. I'd been to Kenya. Um, it was around the time that Mark Duggan was killed. We left like the Wednesday and this all happened a couple of days after. Um, and so I booked a trip, a six day trip, leaving March the th- Friday, the 13th of March, 2020 to go to Ghana um, just to see whether there were any business opportunities. You know, could I set up business there? Is it somewhere I could live? You know, what could I do? And then obviously at the time, COVID, I wasn't really following the news because all I knew is I was going to Ghana. When I got to Brussels airline, I remember my daughter calling me and saying, mom, mom, they're closing the airport tonight. And I said, I don't, it's nothing to do with me. I'll be in, um, I'll be in Ghana by then. So we all know what happens. I got there Friday and I was supposed to leave the following Thursday. Well, you know, flights were canceled and I just, they kept giving me a date next week, next week, and then it was next month. You know, I didn't know I'd be there that long. And I actually returned on day 150. So while I was there, um, I started learning the language. I fell in love with the people, the food, the weather. And um, I remember one day going up onto the balcony where I do my, you know, morning meditation, etc., and I was like, oh, you know, why am I here? I only came for six days, and this was like two months later. And I was like, why am I here? No answer, nothing. And I went back downstairs, lying on the bed, and I just picked up my journal. And time to, those two words came to me, time to. And I thought, time to what? Time to what? And I picked up my pen, and I started writing. And that was the first poem I wrote, time to. Um during my five months stay, I wrote over a hundred poems, so they were just in my journal. And um, basically, the overstayer is a collection of thirty-two of the poems um, that I wrote during that time. So, yeah, that's the overstayer. So, what made your stay in Ghana unique in terms of the experience that you had there? Um, I would say it was unique in that it was unplanned. I didn't plan to stay that long. Um, You know, when you plan to go on holiday, it's usually a week or two weeks. So you make sure you've got enough money, you know, to cover you because you're, you know, you're going back home. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was challenging and I love a challenge. Um, I wasn't actually stuck there because there was a char- there were a couple of charter flights that were put on. One was for five hundred pounds, and I said, "No, I'm not paying five hundred pounds to return to London when my return my original return flight was less than four hundred pounds." So um, <laughs> I refused. I said, I'm not paying 500 pounds. 
So I wasn't actually stuck there. I chose to stay. Mm-hmm. It was also unique in that I didn't have any family there. I went by myself. The only people I knew were one, two, three people who I'd met. Well, actually, no, I met two. No, no. One, two. Two people I met. No, sorry, three people I met in 2019. Um, so that's, that is what I would say was really unique about it. I went by myself. I didn't really know anyone. And my six days lasted five months. So I must have been, you know, something, um, you know, I was enjoying myself. And I just felt much safer being in Ghana than in London with everything that was going on with COVID at that time. Now, you said you mentioned that, you know, you didn't really know anyone when you was in Ghana. So mm-hmm. how was you received by the, the local people of Ghana? And what was your interactions like with them? Were they you know, welcoming? Yeah, so the three people that I met in 2019, I linked up with them. So when I went in March 2020, sorry, I kept in contact with those people. When I went in March 2020, I was staying at a friend's, a friend of a friend's Airbnb. And then when lockdown happened, um, um, somebody that I met December before I came down, I had a message to give him. So obviously I called him and we were talking Mm -hmm. and he said that he had a six bedroom house and he was expecting some guests from America. And because of the lockdown, they couldn't come. So rather than me paying, you know, 30 pounds or whatever it was a night in the Airbnb, I could come and stay with him. Okay. So that was part of the receptiveness. And so I did, I had a room in the six bedroom house my own bathroom, compound, everything, somebody to cook. Um, and really that was the one of the main reasons why I actually stayed. Um, so in terms of hospitality, and I then found out that a friend of mine, her brother was living in Ghana. So when I called him, lo and behold, He was living like five minutes away from where I was staying. It was absolutely, you know, everything just fell into place. When I called him within an hour, he came over and that was, (laughs) it was quite unbelievable actually. So yeah, hospitality and just, I was just so relaxed. The environment, the food, the weather, the people, very hospitable. Um, Yeah. And 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 um and helpful, yeah. Something you also mentioned earlier that we've we've discussed, you know, is that it, effectively the books are made up of poems, different poems. So mm. I'm intrigued and curious to what made you decide to make it a poetry book reflecting on your experience of Ghana, as opposed to you know just a journal style diary or more or memoir type. Okay, so I do journal. I journal every day. Um, And as I said, when I went up on the balcony that morning, something happened because when I came down, the words time too came to me. And I think that day I wrote about 15 poems. Now, remember, I hadn't written a 
poem since I left primary school. So, so probably about the age, about age 12, because I used to, I remember I used to write poems and my English teacher always used to encourage me. And then I guess, you know, you get older and start doing different things. Um, but it all just, I don't know, these words just kept coming and I just started writing and I always have a book near me. I always have my pen, even, you know, when I'm sleeping, my book might be on the floor. So if I have any ideas, I just jump up, turn the light on and start writing. So, yeah, I just um, went with my feelings and, and, and what was happening at the time. And it just came out, the words just came out in, in um, the form of poetry as opposed to you know, anything else. Now, having written uh, over a hundred poems and there's always a selection of 32 poems that made it into the book. Yes. What, what was the selection process like? How did you, you know what? Okay. So I had to, I had to decide how many I wanted in the book. And so I, read through all the poems and then categorized them into themes. So, for example, there were themes around, um, what were their themes around? There were themes around life experiences, things that had happened to me, things that I'd seen, you know, being in Ghana, being in Accra, the, the weather, the traffic, um, food, people. Um, I remember I arrived on the Friday, the Saturday I went out, the Sunday, Monday. Yeah, so I'd been there like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, three days. And um, a friend, one of the guys had collected me. We were going somewhere. And I remember we got to circle. <laughs> And I said to him, no, 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 I can't go any further. Please just take me back home. And he was like, what's the matter? And I was just overwhelmed. I don't know if you've experienced this. I was just overwhelmed. Um, the heat, the noise, the traffic, the smoke, the fumes, everything was just too much for me. And... Um, he had to take me back home. I was just overwhelmed. It was, I was, I, you know, my senses were, ah, it was just too much for me. So I had to, I had to go back home that day. I remember, I remember um, that, that experience. And there's a poem in there that's called Accra. And that's what it's about. The traffic and the hawkers and the noise and the food and the different smells. So, yeah, I, I, um, wrote the poems down into different themes and then just chose a few poems from each of those. Otherwise, you know, a hundred poems in a book would have been too much. And some of them were kind of similar, very similar. Yeah. Okay. What I would like you to do is to share a couple of those poems um, that you've written in the book with us, just to give the audience more of a taste 
of an insight. I know you've explained about one of the poems. Um, it could be that poem that you you read, or it could be you know another two that you desired. Um, but also explain the context and that you know the relevance of the poems that you've written. Okay, I think I'll I'll read time two because I've spoken about that a couple of times. Um, so this was written, and each poem is dated. This was written on the 19th of April, 2020. Time to. And remember, I was asking, time to what? Time to, time to what? And these are the words that came to me. Time to think, time to dream. Time to grow, time to flow. Time to reflect, time to restore. Time to grieve, time to mourn. Time to learn, time to sow. Time to smile, time to sigh. Time to dance, time to sing, time to wait, time to gaze, time to talk, time to walk, time to run, time to feel, time to be free, time to be me. So that was the first one. Um, let's have a look. I think I might read Accra. Where are you? So, yeah, Accra, again, sorry, let me just find the page without making all this noise. Um, okay, this one's called Accra Town. So, again, this relates to the experience I, I just spoke about where I was a bit overwhelmed and then going back out. Um, another day. So this was written on, let's have a look at the date. This was eaten on, written on the 20th of April, 2020. Accra town. Town is busy, town is fast, full of people, speeding cars, darting in the sun, hot, sweaty. People run, walk and talk. Walkers in the traffic selling their wares, ice cold drinks, tea roll, shoes, shades. A1 bread. A1. <laughs> Chicken, fish, random selections, a variety of things. Static traffic, petrol mixed with diesel fumes. Trucks create black puffs, deafening horns, no peace around. Overloaded, tilting, low-pressure tyres, crowded trotters. Drivers switching lanes, no indicators, and traffic, traffic, traffic. No AC in our car, windows rolled down, ingesting fumes, being choked. I grab my flannel to cover my nose and mouth. My lungs struggle to inhale clean air. I feel dizzy, the heat, the noise. I'm so I'm over-sensitized. My senses are smashed too much, too much. I must go home to rest my head, my body from the sounds, fumes, sun, everything. I am overwhelmed. Town is busy, town is fast, full of people speeding cars, darting in the sun, hot and sweaty. People run, walk and talk. Walkers in the traffic selling their wares, food, ice cold drinks, tea roll, shoes, shades, A1 bread, chicken, fish, random selections, a variety of things. That's it. Another thing that I want to talk to you about is the title of your book is called The Overstayer. Mm. And the photo of the front cover of your book, I mean, for those that are listening, um, I mean, the front cover has a photo of uh, a passport uh, being stamped uh, by who I presume um, would be an immigration government official. 
I also noticed that in the background there is the traditional uh, Ghanaian kente pattern. What made you come up with the title and photo that you chose for the front cover of your book? Okay, so I was posting on Facebook daily while I was, you know, learning the language. And then a question I posed, was it a question I posed? No, it wasn't a question I posed, sorry. A friend um, referred to me as the stranded one. And she kept calling me, oh, hi, the stranded one. <laughs> I thought, oh, my gosh. And then somebody else was calling me the deportee. And I thought, Taking a Mickey, I haven't been deported. Why are you why are you using those words? So when I um put the poems together, I didn't have a title for the book. And my book coach, Dr. Ava Eagle Brown, she came up with the idea of having the front cover with an immigration, she had a vision of an immigration officer stamping my passport. Now, I was back in London at this time. And so there was no way, you know, I could get an official immigration officer to do the picture. So I asked my daughter to come over. She said, oh, mum. I said, yeah, yeah, just put on a black jacket and a white blouse. I just need to get a couple of pictures of you, but, you know, it's just going to be your hands. It won't be your face. And that's how I set up the, um, the picture. So the kente cloth I brought with me, I just put that up um, as a background. She had on her black jacket, a white blouse. And the little red stamper is actually her. My daughter's now 31. That stamper was her when we used to bake and make cookies when she was about five. <laughs> that's, that's what she's got in her hand. Her hand. And then that's my actual passport that she's appearing to stamp. And so the, going back to the, the so that's the um, front cover. Going back to the title, I came up with the overstayer because, um, you know, I thought, yeah, I have overstayed because I went for six days and I stayed for 150. But not as an illegal overstayer. I obviously had to um, extend my um, my holiday legally. Yeah, so I had to um, apply for an extension. So that's how the, the title came up in the book cover. What's your situation at the moment? Are you now settled living in Ghana or are you permanently based here? Well, I say here because I'm in Ghana at the moment. That's why I said here. Um, are you permanently based here in Ghana or are you, um, uh, you're not back in England? I'm back in London at the moment. I came in October because um, October 2020, I actually should have gone to Barbados and it didn't happen because obviously the lockdown and I got back in August. And at the time, I'd have to quarantine for two weeks before, and you know it was just too much, so I couldn't go. So I went to Barbados. I came back at the end of August, sorry, October, and I went to Barbados for three and a half weeks. Absolutely wonderful. It wasn't really a holiday; it was more of an educational trip. Quite emotional, actually. When I was in Barbados, 
I was very aware of the plantations. And it really hit me that, yeah, plantations and the transatlantic slave trade and everything. I actually went to Drax Hall, which was one of the biggest plantations in, in um, Barbados. And they also had Drax Hall in Jamaica. But, um, yeah, so basically I came to London to go on my... Um, trip to Barbados which was two years overdue and then it was my mum's 80th birthday in December so I stayed for that and I should have left at the beginning of this month but I've got a couple of appointments that have come up that I need to hang around for so I kind of go between the two spending more time in Ghana than I do here and remember I don't I have one actually now I have one cousin who's in 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 um in Accra and the whole of my family my parents are here my children are here brothers here everybody else is here so I have to visit regularly Now yes, something that you said um was when you went to Barbados and it was emotional when you looked at the you know the slave plantations mm. um you know we have listeners from all over the world Many of them will know, you know, what the, the history in terms of the link with, um, and you know the role of um, that that country, such as Ghana, particularly played, you know, in the in the in the transatlantic slave trade. Did you go to, you know, I know you went quite close. A lot of people there go to like the, the um, Amina Castle, and you know, there's there's other, you know, slave dungeons and forts in Ghana. Some in Cape Coast, some mm-hmm. in other uh, places. Um, did you go to, yeah, did you, you know, go to those places when you was in Ghana? Yes. Yeah, so when we came in um, 2019, as I said, we did the whole tourist everything and off, off the beaten track as well. So, yes, we went to Elmina and, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was very, 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 very emotional place. I remember going in the female dungeons and I could hear people crying. I could hear people crying in there. Something that I want to go, you know, uh, uh, back when I say you, you move between you know, England and, and Ghana, you said, you know, you spend mm. some time here, some time in England. Do you have residency here in Ghana? Yeah, I have a residency permit. Yeah, but not not permanent residency. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah. That's on a resident permit. So you you would have the permit for like a year, and then you've got to renew after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I wanted to go on to speak about now, because obviously when you settle in a country, you mm. have to follow the immigration laws of the country. You can't just move yes. from one country to the other country if you or legally. Yeah. Mm. Um. So as you're now you're not a resident of Ghana, um. Can you explain the process of how you was able to get, you know, a resident permit to stay in the country? So there are different ways of doing it. So, for example, you can do it through um, employment. So if you are um, working there, you can apply through your employer. You can apply 
through, um, you know, if you have land or property. You can apply if, obviously, if you're married to a Ghanaian resident or citizen, sorry. So, you know, it's interesting you say that because obviously, you know, Ghana had uh, in 2019 the year of the return and at the, uh, well, I think it's for the next 10 years they've got a Beyond the Return campaign. Um, yes. Which which is happens December. Um, now, the way it appears, you know, to the world that is like people can go to Ghana and all of a sudden just be given citizenship and... <laughs> permits like is almost like the next day that's why how it's kind of portrayed um but what you said is not quite that simple in terms of um you know what staying in the country it's not um i i would agree with what you say you know the the, the welcome was out there come to ghana come to ghana come to ghana yes however when you do get there it's not um it's not as straightforward as it's made out to be because, first of all, um, the visa situation, if you have a passport from one of the Caribbean islands, you don't need a visa. If you have a British passport, you do need a visa. And there are various visas. You can have a single entry. You can have multiple entries, six months, 12 months, two years. Um, however, when you get to Ghana, they usually stamp your passport for 60 days. So before the 60 days, what you have to do is go to um, Ghana Immigration Services and apply for an extension, which costs, I don't know how much it costs now. Yes, and you can actually extend that, I think a maximum of three times, and then you would have to leave or or then apply for your residence permit. But remember, it's money that you're spending because you've paid for your visa and then you're going to extend three times and then if you're going to apply for your residence permit, um, yeah, that costs. You have to have your your ID, non-Ghanaian, you know, your ID. You have to, I think it's a thousand, I can't remember the, the, the cost of everything. I think it's a thousand US dollars for the residence permit. And that's only for, your first one is usually only for a year. And then when you apply for subsequent ones, you can I think you can apply for two years. It depends. So, you know, it all adds up. It all adds up. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, no, I'm just saying it's, that, it certainly does. It does, yeah. Uh, and I think once it probably gets to about five years. So can you imagine renewing year after year after year until you get to five years? It's interesting thing. It's just a point I wanted to raise, you know, uh, you know, because I think it's important that our people know as well in the diaspora. Because, as I said, the country it, there is a front that you know you can come to Ghana and they're just giving residency and citizen citizens, particularly citizenship to people left, right, and centre. But you know, there's thousands of people from the diaspora in Ghana, and if it was that simple, we would all have citizenships here. But it's yes. most people in Ghana. The, out of the percentage of people that are from the diaspora that got citizenships, it's very, very few amount of people, probably in the hundreds, yeah. And there's thousands of you know people from the diaspora that are here. And most of the people that have acquired citizenship in Ghana is because they've been living here for a certain period of time over yes. for years, yeah. Some of them even illegally. And if you live in Ghana 
for a minimum of five years, you can get citizenship anyway, whether you're white, European, or an Indian person, or wherever you're back. I, I think it's um it's it's important that our people know this that it's um it's not what's quite advertised when you come to Ghana in terms of you know what people from the diaspora just just coming here and. Traumatic. Yeah, exactly. get it um, if you speak to immigration people they will tell you these are the different things you can do and there's it, yeah exactly but without you know going too much into that I think we've touched on to that already mm-hmm. um, yeah. enough uh, enough of it um, let's now move on to you know what your your other book that you've um, you've written because you're also the author of the book called Mama Adjua's Children's Photo Book Fruits in English and Tree and you know this is <laughs> interesting because you know something you mentioned you know when you was in Ghana links a bit to your previous book is that you learned one of the native languages when you was over there or when I say over there because you're you're, you know you you go back and forth but yeah you learned one of the the native languages which is uh tree which is probably the most the most common spoken language in Ghana and you know tell us you know I first of all I applaud you for learning tree because most people when they come to Ghana don't there's a lot of people don't learn you know the local language and that's one of the things that you know as diasporans we get criticized the most for, for sometimes not picking up or learning the local the languages but you've you know you've gone out you learn the local languages did you um did someone how did you do it did you you know someone you know did you do sessions did you go on a course or was it you picked up over the how was did you first of all did you uh learn to speak fluent in tree <laughs> I'm not fluent at all. No, no, no. I can't. I can't take that accolade. I am learning. I am learning. So when I was there in um, March, March 2020, because remember I had time, and I was learn. I set myself a task to try and learn a word every day. And so, you know, I'd say to one of the ladies on the compound, or you know, visitors, "Oh, what's mango? Or what's?" Or what's um I don't know avocado. You see, everything's food related. You know, I love food, and so I started learning um the fruits, and and then I was doing my uh, Facebook daily sessions. Oh, today's word is mango. A mango. A mango. Okay, and uh, I did fruits, vegetables, different things, numbers. Um yeah, so really I was I was learning and then also my friends and family who were watching and you know engaging and finding out what I was doing, they were also learning as well. Um and how did this book come about? So the book came about um as a result of what I've just said. Because to me, language is very important. Now, part of my charity work, I'm involved with Kiwanis um, Club of Croydon and also Power Sis Foundation Ghana, an NGO in Ghana, where we basically try to ensure that children in rural areas, in the villages, uh, receive the education that they're entitled to. So we have um we're sponsoring a school in eastern region in Krodua, k-r-o-d-u-a which is in oh gosh i can't remember the name the area but anyway we managed to raise some money and bought them 
think it was 165 books I bought in Ghana. And so I had to do lots of research around, you know, books that um, depicted the children. They had no books at all. And so it was very important to get books that, you know, they could see themselves in. Um, and one of the things, one of the, I didn't realize that in Ghana, I know it happens in Africa now, but in Ga- in other um, countries in Africa, but in Ghana, that the children are taught in English. They're not taught in their mother tongue, the local dialect, which I kind of just took it for granted. So she told me, no, we teach them in English. And I was kind of shocked with that. So when I went out to buy the books, I made sure that I bought some in English and also tree. Okay. Um, and, you know, when you think about it, okay, you know, some of the children do speak their, their, their local dialect at home. But if, as parents, we are not teaching our children the mother tongue, what then happens to the language? My youngest daughter is 20. She'll be 24 next week. Her father's Ghanaian. He never taught her the language. So when she goes to Ghana, she says, oh, mom, when my aunties are talking to me in, in tree and I'm just looking at them, you know, they say, ah, oh, silly girl. She doesn't know the language. She doesn't know the language. So it's just, I, I, I you know, I just, uh, I'm a bit amazed by it, really. But um, so that's why I thought I would do the little that I could and w- what I've learned. Um, I think there are 26, 26, um, fruits in this book most of the pictures I've taken myself as I said I love um, photography Um, we've got aki, apple, avocado banana, breadfruit breadfruit grows in Ghana way up in Ebri mountains not a lot of people eat them but yes I think it's becoming more popular now so for example so the book has the English word aki, then it has a picture of aki growing. Aki grows in Ghana as well, and it's anki. Then apple is apple. Avocado is, um, what is apple? Paya, paya, P-A-Y-R-A, paya. Um, breadfruit, for example, is dibomunu. Yeah, so there are 26 fruits with the English and tree names. And what I've also tried to do is to show as many of the fruits growing. growing. I remember when I was in um, Jamaica, I must have been about 12, and that was the first time I saw pineapple growing. Now, I know many people, many um, adults, have never seen pineapple growing. Have you ever seen pineapple growing? No. Okay. Yeah? Um. What was the other one? Oh, that was, um, I remember even okra. During my five months in Ghana, that was the first time I saw okra growing. And so what I try to do in this book is 
Yes, English words, tree, and show the actual fruits growing on the trees. So that's um, fruits. My vegetable one should be out next week. And it's similar. So fruits, English tree, and then, yeah, vegetables, corn, yam, some in the market, etc. Really just so that children, or even adults, because if you want to learn as well, I guess you can. Um, we'll see how how the vegetables and fruits grow and how they're sold, etc. So that's the that's the um the idea be behind these two books. My plan is also I have a whole series that I'll be doing. I'm not going to give away too much now because you know what's happened in the past. I've gone and spoken about my idea, and before I know it, somebody else ran off with it. So I'm not saying anything else. I left <laughs> that deal. It happens, happens to all of us. It happens to, happens to, yeah, happens well, to everybody. Keep it sealed, yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. We're coming to a conclusion of the mm. interview now. Before we, before we go, you know, give us your final comments and tell the listeners again your name, the title of your books, where your books can be purchased from, and if you would like to give out any uh, contact details. Uh, let me say purchase contact. So my two books are The Overstayer and Mama Adra's Children's Photo Book Fruits in English and Tree and the vegetable version will be out next week. They're both all three of them will be available on Amazon. The Overstayer is usually £11 something. When I checked today, it's actually on sale on Amazon for less than £4. So you can get it while you can. It's, you know, reduced. And the children's books are £7.99 with, um, with all, all the books percentage of the um, proceeds from the book go towards our um, project with the Crodera, the, the school, primary school in Crodera Eastern Region. Um, what else do I want to say? Oh, what I haven't said um, is that, um, so the whole umbrella of my books they all come under the company name, which is With Love from Ghana Limited. Um, we also provide hosted tours of Ghana, and we have tours booked for April, September, October, and November. I'm currently working on the November tour with, I think there'll be 18 people. So if anyone's interested in coming to Ghana, I'm actually a Ghana guru. I didn't say anything about that. How could I forget that? Oh, my gosh. So while I was in Ghana during the five months, I did some training with the Ghana Tourist Authority. As a Ghana guru, my role is to promote Ghana as um, a holiday destination for 2023 and beyond and to encourage people to visit Ghana. So I'm really concentrating on people 
in the UK who, for example, want to come to Ghana. However, they don't have any family or any links. Um, yeah, that's who I'm concentrating. That is my target group, really. Male, female, anyone interested in terms of age? Um, not so much, you know, the 20s, I would say 30 plus. Semi-retired or re retired people, you know, who really want to come and see Ghana, uh, thinking of possibly retiring there or, you know, spending some time. Um, yeah, so that's what I've got in store. Uh, what else? In terms of contacts, I'm on Insta at With Love from Ghana. Website is again with love from Ghana.com. And as I said, the books at the moment are on, are on Amazon. Anything okay, else? thank you. Sorry, go ahead. Have I, did I answer the question or was there anything? Yeah, else? I was just going to say your name again. That's Mama Adjua. Um, how Mama do you spell Adjua. it in case they put it on, Am on Amazon? How, how do they spell it? M-A-M-A-A-D-J-U-A, which is a different spelling. And how I came up with the name, or well, I didn't come up with the name. So some of the children... The little children, they were calling me Grandma Adjua because there was another Adjua. And I said, no, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 you can't call me Grandma Adjua. I have two daughters and they don't have any children, so I'm not a grandma. Sorry, I'm too young. I can't be a grandma. No, 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 don't call me that. So they decided they're going to call me Mama Adjua, which I thought, yes, that's more appropriate. And then my youngest daughter, she's also Adjua. And Adjua is the um, female name for Monday born. So Mama Adjua. Oh, great, great. We learned something else there as well. Right. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, Mama Adjua. And, um, yeah, um, I know you're also going to be featuring on the Black Book Show virtual book tour. Um, but just to wrap up, this is a conclusion of this interview between McConnell and Sankofa and Mama Adjua. Thank you. I am now joined with Ramona Miles who is the founder of the magazine called Life Along the Now magazine. Welcome, Ramona, to the Black Book Show. We're going to talk about your magazine in a moment, but before we do that, can you please introduce yourself to the listeners, let them know, you know where you're based and you know a little bit about that background into who you are. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for, for having me here. Um. My name is, of course, Ramona Miles. I am the founder of the Life Along the Nile magazine, uh, tour company, and podcast. <clears throat> I host tours to Egypt. Uh, I also host uh, retreats and um, business workshops uh, for, for business coaches and consultants uh, once a year. <clears throat> I'll be launching that for the first time this year. So I've been uh, online for, wow, for decades now. <laughs> um, I've been experimenting with anything from affiliate marketing to, um, you know, the typical drop shipping kind of thing. And after I stopped uh, building websites, um, uh, I took a break from that and I came to Egypt and uh, I loved it. I've always wanted to come and an experience and learn, uh, you know, more about the, the spiritual aspects of it, the history. <clears throat> and uh, fast forward a few years, I'm living here. So 
I'm here now. I've been here for a few months now. Well, let's concentrate on your magazine, you know, and you mentioned that you're you're living in Egypt and your magazine is called, you know, Life Along the Nile magazine. So, you know, can you explain, first of all, you know, tell the listeners what your magazine is about and then, you know, explain, you know, what the Nile, because we have listeners all over the world and some of them might not know, you know, where the Nile is or what that is. And then, you know, the the link between, you know, your journey and, and the magazine. Okay, sure. Um Life along the Nile, um, a little bit of a backstory, it just started with just that, you know, learning things about uh, uh, researching the, the history of the, of the area, um, just going along the Nile. It's, the Nile River is not just only in Egypt. It goes down through Sudan all the way down to um, Lake Victoria and off to the um, East Coast towards um, Ethiopia, even it, it stems out, you know, and branches out. So, but my focus uh, is mainly right now on Egypt. Um, so the magazine takes an African centered approach to the Egyptian history that we mostly learn about through uh, being taught through um, the European um, aspect of it. And I find that quite often they leave out a lot of the traditional African history and it makes it seem like Egypt is separate from the continent when it's actually on the continent of Africa, it's an African country. <laughs> and so the magazine takes that sort of, that side, uh, that sort of approach to when I do research and when I do um ask certain questions. I want to know how far back that history goes and uh, debunk even some of the, the, the theories that are, are out there. So I try not to be too controversial, but I, I do want people to understand that it's an African country first and foremost, and then you just go from there. <laughs> so is this magazine, um, focused purely on content and articles that are around um, Egypt topics relating to Egypt? Yeah, for now it is. I started off with uh, Giza around the pyramids. And then um, because the pyramids are the pyramids and the Sphinx, you know, everybody uh, may be researching or looking into information on, on those big monuments. But Giza expands out further. So the second issue is about the Giza Plateau and other surrounding areas that have pyramids as well. Um, and then after that, <clears throat> the next issue, the third one is uh, about Cairo. So I write about uh, um, the history and a lot of things that happened throughout you know, ancient times in Cairo before it became Cairo. <laughs> and in um, the locals, I do have... Um, uh, articles about local businesses, uh, of course, the local foods, and then travel information, tips, and and so on. I'm also looking into expanding even from that to products and services of other people around the world. I had um, uh, a page on there for a podcast list, so people can, uh, if you have a podcast that's related to the topic, um, and the topic expands out from just temples and tombs. Those temples and tombs 
are basically talking about the human mind and uh, different ways of, of uh, ascending and descending in, into our, our subconscious minds and our consciousness and stuff like that. So if you have a podcast on topics like that, it would be a great fitting for the magazine. So there's a variety of things in there, but they all sort of come back together to uh, the ancient comedic teachings. If that makes any, it makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned some of the magazines, you know, they contain history um, and also yeah. some elements of, you know, things happening currently um, in Egypt, such as, you know, businesses and, you know, parts of the culture, etc. So mm -hmm. what I want to know now is it's, it's a magazine, um, not a, a book. Um, and, you know, the magazines, you can tell us, you know, how many editions of the magazine are there and how often the magazines are produced, whether it's like monthly, bi-monthly or quarterly um, or even weekly. And what made you make the decision of, you know, doing a, a magazine as opposed to um, a book on Egypt? Um, well, first off, the magazine is, is just it's ongoing. It, it doesn't stop. Like it can go on forever. <laughs> um, after, you know, making cycling around through some of the cities, the, the magazine is broken up into four, I guess, so it'd be quarterly. Uh, it's like four seasons, for example. Uh, actually, in ancient Egyptian time, I think it was five, considered five seasons. But I'm focusing on four seasons because that's where we are now. Uh, but they are based on... Um, the book Two Equinox and the Solstice. So, for example, January, uh, December and January and February are coming out of the winter solstice. And then the next three or four issues come out. Um, I mean, the months. Am I saying it right? Uh, would be the uh, Equinox. And then the next issue that comes out would be in a summer solstice. And then the next one would be the fall equinox. And it just cycles back around. Um, I find it, if it's what, being broken up like that, uh, I can group a lot of the events and things like that that are going on and giving people time to research, plan trips in between that, and keep in alignment with um, the, the basic traditions that were held at that time, which are our zodiac, like the, the astrology and um, uh, the cycles of nature. Um, so it, it's sort of fitting and it, and it works out. I'm the only one, so I can't do something like this every week. A magazine uh, is a lot more involved than just um, throwing some things together. And I'm a little detailed oriented in that sense that I want to make sure everything is as accurate as possible, um, not bland and boring. And then I also have a children's section that I, I want to start to initiate and push out even more uh, to, to, um, you know, to, to make it fun for the kids to learn about ancient e Egyptian history, um, how they can relate to it you know, with, with certain uh, activities that they can do. So the first issue has uh, like a coloring book. And the second, the second issue has um, questions for them to um, like research and answer. 
and uh, a crossword puzzle. So it's, it's, you know, just ongoing like that. And like I said, I'm the only one right now. It's been a little difficult finding writers. And what made me decide to do the magazine is because um, I, w- I wanted to write a book, but it's so much that was in my head. I was like, well, well, I was somewhere. I can't remember exactly how the thought came up, but um, I thought, well, a magazine. I'll try that. I started researching and putting one together and I showed it to a couple of people. I only had maybe 15 pages. They were like, oh my gosh, this is great. And it went from 15 pages to 54. So so, uh, each issue will probably have more so around, well, the premiere issue has that much, but I'm trying to keep them in around 30 to 35 pages. um, If that sort of, you know, helps. And that's without a lot of advertising. I'm also learning that as I grow the magazine, the pages will increase because of the ads that can be put inside the magazine. Right now, I just have a lot of content. (laughs) So what is the the age group that I know you said you've got like a a, a concentrate on, I think, a children's magazine in the the future. Um, What is the age group of most, most of the magazines that you've got? out at the moment and um, the audience that you're targeting or the audience of people you think will be interested in the magazine? That's, that's very interesting because uh, that can vary. So I was trying to pinpoint an age and I really couldn't find that the, the right age group. But what I did find that was, um, I'm 54, so if I'm talking about topics like this, I can easily attract women my age. But um, if I do attract more women my age after uh, getting back some analytics on this, uh, then the advertisements in the magazine will be focused towards you know, uh, a particular age group. But right now, it's just basically about uh, who's interested in the topic and where you are if you are indeed on a spiritual journey um, and how you uh, view spirituality as well. So the topic is very controversial, but I sort of stay neutral. I don't choose sides and religions and all that stuff. Uh, I just want to stay in the comedic teachings. And what and you know people interpret it pretty you know I'm finding now it's it's differently but um, that's you know it's sort of my personal opinion so it's my magazine I have a, a section in there where I do speak my opinions on stuff but the the other information in there is basically about the temples and the and the sites and everything and those are pretty much facts um, as far as you know locations and what's being taught about them and then I'll have my little input. <laughs> uh, uh, on there to spark thoughts, you know, for, for people to go, mm, I never thought of it like that. And then they can go and, and research even further. And I ask for feedback, you know, if it's something that I miss, something that uh, someone wants to add to, uh, I'm open for that. So that leads into, you know, uh, the podcast when I launch it. Uh, having discussions about the magazine articles and going deeper, um, deeper into it on the podcast. Um, so I really don't have an age group yet. 
I'm curious to what kind of feedback that you've had of the magazine, particularly from uh, Egyptian, Egyptians based in Egypt, um, black Egyptians we're talking about. What is the feedback you've had from the locals? I, I haven't gotten any feedback. I don't think any of them have ever read it. It's a digital magazine. Um, but now, now that I've settled in here uh, uh, now, I'm finding out places where I can actually get printed copies. I'm thinking of, uh, of doing that and taking it to a few um, hotels, you know, for the ones that have um, um, information for people when they come, you know, they can pick up a magazine and, and look through it. I'm looking into that right now and, um, and, and see if I can get some feedback from that. But for the most part, I, I don't really think that that would be the targeted audience, to be honest with you. So um, you're mainly looking at people in the diaspora. That, that's correct. Yeah, pretty much. You know, on a global scale, they may be more interested uh, in it because I am coming from uh, uh, an African-centered focus, you know, um, which would I, I bring up the, the traditional um, tribal things that, that are part of the Egyptian history that sort of get whitewashed and overlooked uh, or just not talked about at all. And so it, it makes, that's what makes it seem like it's, it's separate. Um, I'm, I'm here and the people are wonderful. I'm not saying that, you know, anything's good or bad. It's just that um, the people that occupy this space right now have been here for a long time. And with that being said, there's lots of rich history that are here, but they are not the original people. And we have to keep that in mind when we're talking about that. So um, tomorrow I'm, I'm going to the Islamic Museum of Art and I could see a complete change and difference in the art from the very beginning, like uh, 600 uh, AD, to now is completely different. The older uh, art looks more African. It looks more, um, uh, you can see the patterns in, in a lot of the old, uh, uh, more ancient traditions throughout the whole continent. And I also see where that path sort of extends over across the ocean to other continents too. But the, the closer we get to modern day, it's changed completely. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing that because it's evidence of, of the change. So when the invasion happened, the people that were still here, uh, the original people here, it was their art, their language, their food. And over time, um, it's, it's, uh, it's naturally changed. Like that, that happens. It's natural for things like that to happen. <laughs> Um, it's just pretty interesting. You know, I, I have a different perspective of it all since I've been here, but the magazine will definitely keep its focus on, on the African centered approach to Egyptian history. <laughs> so, you know, in talking in terms of, you know, distribution, so, you know, 
we touched on earlier that you know it's in digital form and that you know regarding mm -hmm. like in Egypt that there may be places that you get printed copies but in terms mm -hmm. of you know people we have people that listen to this program some that in UK USA Canada Australia mm -hmm. um the Caribbean Africa all over the world how does someone get a copy of your 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 magazine if they want one and is it strictly in in digital form or, or can they get a print copy of that in the diaspora um explain to me about how you know it works in terms of how, how your book is being distributed at the moment okay well i had it on a website called issue <clears throat> and i i took it down because i was it was a little overwhelming trying to get the the issues uh organized and and get the get all the material together. I'm going to actually relaunch the magazine and keep the premiere issue as a, as a signature starting point, because it's, it's got such good information in it um, that, you know, that it does, it doesn't change. Basically the only thing that would change in there would be uh, dates because like the festivals happen every year. Um, like the the uh, the sun festivals happen every year. I mean, some things just don't change. It's just the dates, the the year changes. So I wanted to keep the premiere issue as the premiere issue, and it could be one that people can look at for free uh, in digital form. Especially if you are signing up to be featured in the magazine, I hold two spots to be uh, for people to be featured in the magazine for free. And then there's paid feature sections as well. Uh, back to your question, um, I'm going to then put it back on issue. It's issue.com where they allow people to be able to order uh, print form of the magazine. Um, I think I'm at, I'm at a point now where I can, I can do that. I've checked out some other ways that people can get print form. Uh, and I will, once I order them and see the, the, the quality of it, then I'll, I'll decide on which one to use. But right now it's just digital. If someone orders an annual subscription, um, I have to work that part out too, because the, the price won't be the same because of the, the printed version of it is going to be more expensive and then they're shipping. So that's why I was trying to keep it to, um, just digital, where I have a flip book where you can actually have the feeling of actually flipping through the, the magazine. Um, and then you can have an, uh, there's an option to download it as a PDF. So you, you can print out a page or two and not have the whole, you know, you can print out the articles, is what you can do, and not have the whole magazine uh, unless you want. Are you looking for writers and What's the criteria if someone wants to write an article to be published in your magazine? Oh yes, um, definitely someone who is who is who is interested and has knowledge of uh, comedic history, uh, esoteric teachings, metaphysics, and things like that. If you're on that spectrum, um, you will find writing for the magazine to be very exciting. Um, I had I was uh, approached by someone who wanted to write, and uh, this person teaches uh, Islamic uh, history and uh, Arabic. So as we were talking, and and I was explaining to him a little bit about 
you know, the magazine, um, there was just a total disconnect uh, from what I was, you know, what I'm looking for. So it helped me understand that someone would really have to be interested in esoteric teachings, spirituality, uh, from that aspect, not religion, and, um, you know, astrology, um, you know, nature as a, as a force, you know, an energy, vibration, frequencies, all those things. If, they're, if they have that kind of knowledge, they would understand the concept of the magazine a little more as far as the, the, the teachings go, because that, that doesn't change at all <laughs> um it would well, help to have writers like that what have you learned is there anything you've not learned or discovered um from you know your experience of traveling to egypt or your journey whilst um working on you know the magazine you're doing oh my goodness yes because when I first had the idea, <clears throat> I just wanted to write about the pyramids and each one of them. And then I started finding more and, and more stories and history about them. Then I was like, okay, well, when you, when you think about it, the whole area is a big, giant, ancient cemetery. You know, the burial parts of that. There's even a... Uh, um, an understanding on like on the Nile and the West bank and the, in the East bank, one was for death and one represented life. So I started learning all of these things and then actually going to the temples and, and seeing the uh, hieroglyphs and in and, and the story, how it's written out and listening to even guides and, and um, in my own research, it, it's been a, it's been a, Oh my gosh. And, aha moment after aha moment <laughs> it's, it's been a mind-blowing experience um for for those who think that it, it may not be important to go back into this kind of history um i i realize it's so much more and you, and you miss out um on, on it you know with with that kind of thinking there's still more to learn here even about yourself and it's not about um <clears throat> who's right or wrong. It's I'm learning also that a lot of this is just your experience, but some of the, the way it's been done or the way it was done, the traditional uh, ceremonies and things like that, we still do those things today. We're just not aware of it. So um, yeah, it's been several, several aha moments and wow, a bunch of wows. <laughs> bunch of those uh, a few of the temples I've gone back to many times because it's just you it's so much and now that they've cataloged and they've organized a lot of the finds and they're still finding new um, uh, new things new um, um, not temples but new um, oh, it's, it's a graveyard I just don't want to say that but <laughs> uh, new tombs <clears throat> they're still finding and excavating uh, new areas. So um, there's still new places I can go to. <laughs> I haven't been to Aswan yet. Uh, and I have not been to Abydos, but I have been to Dendera and Luxor. 
and all around um, the plateau uh, around Giza in Saqqara, Memphis, Deshore, and all of those places. But I, I have not been to Aswan, and I'm I'm learning even on my own spiritual journey that it's possible that the reason I have not been there is because I'm learning all of the other things first, or or at least get to a certain point. Uh, the whole journey from Aswan back to Cairo is based on our spine, based on our bodies, based on our energy centers. So. Um, when the time comes and it's, it's time for me to go, I think I'll have a feeling and a notion that it's time for me to go to Aswan. And when I do, I would like to be there for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, maybe. And just Can you really absorb and take it in and take my time in the, in the energy there. Can you talk more in just, in, in, I want you to explain a bit more to the listeners about the significance of Aswan and where that is in the country. Aswan is in the southern parts of Egypt, and it's almost um, not too far from the border of Sudan. Um, There's another temple called Abu Simbel, south of Aswan. And that's where uh, Ramses and Nefertari's temples are. Those are two temples that were underwater, and when they built the, the dam, they, uh, to preserve them, they moved them, I think like 600 meters, they moved them up and built a whole nother mountain kind of range. So they, they sort of resembled the same way they, uh, the structures that they did before, they would have been underwater. So they moved those. So that's the Southern tip of, of, um, of the country of Egypt and Northern, um, on the border of northern Sudan. Um, the, the dam, I think, I, have to, I, have to, I would have to look, and then I haven't written about it yet. I have the, the magazine ready for Aswan, but I'm not going to write about a lot of it until I go. So that will be an issue that comes out in 2024. I think that will be the, um, the spring um, the fall, yeah, that'll be the the summer, maybe the summer uh, summer solstice issue. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's pretty interesting uh, place. It's it's where here now uh, the people that live in that area are referred to as the Nubians, and so they're they're more darker skinned Egyptians. Uh, I've, the most ones I've met so far, they're mainly still. Um, uh, Muslims and yeah I think all I haven't met too many I haven't met any that aren't uh, in Cairo I've met some Coptic Christians but for the most part um, you know this is a, a Islamic country now so those mm-hmm. are they're called the Nubians uh, in that area so when you travel to Aswan you'll you'll go to Nubian village you'll see um, the artwork displayed on the outside of the buildings, on um, all of the textiles and fabrics. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful from, from one, a lot of the photos I've seen. And then even in Luxor, which is three hours away from, from Aswan, it's, 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 you still see the patterns. The patterns are everywhere. Um, the, the Nubian patterns, they're, they're everywhere, even here in Cairo. 
Now, you do tours to Egypt, right? Um, yes. Can you tell us a bit more about the tours you do in case someone's <clears> listening <throat> to the, you know, to the Black Book show and they're interested in possibly, well, first of all, finding out about more about, you know, what you do in terms of tours and then possibly in case someone actually you know, wants to go on one of your tours. Oh, okay. Um, I have five signature tours that I'm launching this year. Um, last year, I, I had um, what was called the uh, Enchanted Nile Cruise and Tour. It, it was um, a little more of an intimate tour. I only had enough, uh, uh, not enough, but I had a um, account for just 20 people. Um, and that was because having a smaller or group just starting off, you know, I think it's not too overwhelming. <laughs> and the boat, it wasn't going to be on the, the regular um, cruise uh, boats that they use for tours on the Nile. This boat was a smaller, more intimate setting. It was called the Dahabea. Uh, it would, it has uh, usually two, um, two suites and the rest are cabins. For the, for the one that can hold 20 people. So the rest are doubles. There are no single cabins except for the suites. The suites are, are uh, like a king, king size bed. And the, the doubles are two uh, full size beds. <clears throat> and um, so the Dahabea leaves from, for my tour, for my tour, I'd like to leave from Aswan. So People would fly into Cairo and spend a couple of days in Cairo, fly to Aswan, spend one whole day in Aswan, um, going to the um, the um, to see the dam, the unfinished obelisk, and have dinner in the Nubian village. Sometimes, you know, families open their homes up. Uh, where they get together and make a meal if it's, you know, if uh, if it's a, a nice sized group of people coming at the time, same time. Then they board the Dahabea, which is a sailboat. It's, it, it doesn't have a motor. And so you're traveling on the Nile as you would have seen pharaohs do it back in the day. <laughs> so it's uh, these beautiful sailboats. And you make stops along the way and you see uh, certain temples. And um, I have a couple of surprises that I, I try to do special for the people uh, at different locations where uh, they have a, a, a wonderful experience off the boat. Um, one is a carriage ride. And the other one, I'm just, I just want to keep it a surprise. <laughs> um, and then also the museum uh, that's in uh, Aswan, you go to the, uh, the Crocodile uh, Museum. And then we work our way up to Luxor, um, where you spend two days in Luxor and then two more days back in Cairo um, on the Nile. So you won't be in Giza, you'll be in, in, in Cairo. And then you fly home. That's a third, the average of 13 days. Uh, for that tour, I do have a 10-day one that's in Egypt, but it starts in Abu Dhabi. That's the mother-daughter tour that we're really wanting to focus on. Uh, my daughter and I went to Abu Dhabi, and then while we were there, we added Egypt. We weren't planning on it, but then we added it, and then we went back to Abu Dhabi and went to Dubai. Abu Dhabi, of course, and Dubai are in the Emirates. And so 
that became uh, something that just unfolded so beautifully for us that I've, we really feel like other moms and daughters should experience it as well. We bonded and we, we got to experience each other uh, in, in a way as an adult. My daughter was um, 28 or 29 at the time. And, um, you know, it's an experience that it's, it's unbelievable what we accomplished in that short period of time. So we created a same itinerary where uh, it's 10 days, but there's two extra days that you can add on um, to it. And, and if enough people are okay with adding those two days on, then we'll get to spend time in Cairo and um, Aswan, Luxor, and um, on the Red Sea, we would go to a small town called Hurghada. And that's on the, so that people can go. You, you, you see people um, coming to Egypt and you only see like the desert stuff. But Egypt has beautiful shorelines as well on the Red Sea, where people can go diving, snorkeling, um, fishing, even <laughs> um, uh, close to Sinai. So they can go real rock climbing uh, on one of the mountains and, uh, and just have a totally different experience. The camels over there are even different from the camels that are all the way out in, in, the, in the Sahara. So our, our tours are, are pretty cool, I think. And also, um, like I said, even with the magazine being seasonal, the way we did the magazine, the tours are sort of in alignment in the same way. One is called the Lionsgate tour. And that's when um, what's called the Lionsgate is in August, July and August, August the 8th. So for those who are aware of that, it's the 888 kind of thing uh, where there's supposed to be a portal when uh, the Sirius star system is in alignment with, um, I think, the pyramids or some other aspect along the Nile. And it lasts for, um, I think, a couple of weeks, but it peaks on August the 8th. So the tour is designed around that time plus whatever moon cycle it is. If it's a full moon, then you will be on the Nile with the full moon during the Lionsgate. Um, so that's the Lionsgate, the, the mother-daughter. I have an exploratory tour, which is 16 days. That's for people who really want to deep dive into the history uh, uh, of Egypt. So we spend private time at the locations of about four of the temples plus You'll have access to the pyramids uh, outside um, um, the opening hours, and you'll get to spend time inside the paws of the Sphinx. Um, that's, that's a special tour, a special permission for uh, a lot of that. So um, that's why it's, it's based on just you wanting to explore and really deep dive and, and learn the history or you probably already know the history, but now you just want to experience the, 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 the space for yourself. Um, then there's the Enchanted Tour and um, the Luxury Girls Trip. <laughs> and it's not a girls gone wild kind of thing, but it is a very exciting tour. It's a girly, girly uh, tour on a Dahabeha as well. 
So if you have girlfriends and you want to get together and you want to go somewhere other than Bali or Belize or somewhere, uh, coming here, the, the tour on the Nile, on the Dahabea is three days. Um, just imagine being on a chase lounge, sailing down the Nile. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, and then we'll spend uh, time in Hurghada on the beach. And then you spend more time in uh, Dubai and uh, Abu Dhabi. And you come back to Cairo for a um, luxury dinner cruise and um, uh, shopping. There's shopping involved. And people may not know this, but in Cairo, it, and actually, it, this is the largest mall the the mall of egypt is the largest mall that has the ski slopes in it um in africa and it's a duplicate of the one that's in dubai but it's actually larger than the one in dubai so that's part of the luxury tour um because women want to you know we want to we want to do the luxury thing <laughs> so wow. those are my five tours those are my signature ones and uh, they're all available on the website to, to click on. And all of my, with my tours, I like to talk to people before you pay a deposit or anything like that so that we're clear on the itinerary and we have to make any changes. Uh, if I have to get two boats, because I really want people to experience the Dahabeas instead of a, a cruise ship kind of boat. Um, so we, we have to talk out the details. So when you do click on the link on the website, it's to actually make an appointment with me so we can hop on Zoom and go over the details. So it's it's not just me selling you anything. It's an experience that you are investing in. What's the website that they go on to? They will go to lifealongthenile.com. Okay, and then from then on, as you mentioned, they can book a uh, appointment to speak to you. Yes, yes, yes. This is okay. we plan it out. We plan it out. I do have a a, a a core, a basic core itinerary, but it's the in between uh, and things that make it make the experience um, your own. The hotels, like I, I, I give options of the hotels um, because not everybody. Believe it or not, not everybody wants a five-star. You can do five-star anytime. Now, the luxury tour, the girls' tour, that's five-star. There's no, you know, no way around that one. But for some of the others, I've had people ask about um, a more local and authentic experience. And so the, the star rating system is different here, too. Some, some five-stars don't look like five-stars, <laughs> And I've been to a couple of three and four star star hotels that were out of just um just mind blowing and amazing experience. They should be a five star. So the rating system, I don't understand it quite yet, but it's not the same as you would rate hotels in America or probably even in Europe. Well, we're coming to a conclusion of the interview. So please tell the listeners again your name, the title of your magazine. Uh, where they can get copies of your magazine from and also your your contact details if you want to share in case someone wants to feature in your magazine okay well um i made everything rather convenient so my name is ramona miles i am the founder of life along the nile magazine life along the nile tours and life along the nile podcast 
uh, to be featured, when you go to lifealongthenile.com, you look up at the top there in the navigation bar, you will see Get Featured, you will see Tours, you will see the, you will see the link for the magazine and how to contact me all on that same page. Everything is even on the homepage. So when you land on lifealongthenile.com, you will see scrolling up and down the page everything that you need to, to be featured in the magazine, to schedule um, uh, a time for us to get together, to go over a possible tour for you, your family, your social group, fraternities, sororities, all of those. Think of, of unique places that you can go to and let Egypt be one of those places that you can, you can have a group of friends uh, have an experience that it's once in a lifetime. And, um, and also you'll be able to, to connect with me uh, on there as well. So you'll find everything you need at lifealongthenile.com. Brilliant. Thanks for joining us, Ramona, on this episode of The Black Book Show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I've enjoyed it.